Not many people know how the process of me doing the GLOW episodes go. So allow me to explain to you how I watch these episodes. Um, I watched them twice. The first time around, I'm enjoying the episode, but I'm also pressing the Windows button and H, which audio records everything. I used to do it with the headset on and just do a play-by-play and describe everything that's going on on the show. But then I realized I could just leave it on near the the microphone near the TV and it will just record everything by itself. Which leads me to just watch the entire episode once over. The second viewing is myself editing what was just posted, what was just said, and going through the dialogue of a 30-minute show with lots of pausing and playing, which equals up to maybe three or three and a half hours, only because I have to edit out what the Windows age thought it said. They're having a conversation, and the AI thinks it's saying something random, some different conversation itself. Let's just say that this episode Let's just say that this episode ended up being that way because I was Easter egg hunting. Ended up being Let's just say that this episode ended up being me watching it for 3 hours because I was Easter egg hunting. That's right. I was hunting for Easter eggs. In one of the scenes Sam Sylvia, who plays the director of GLOW, and is inspired by the real-life director of GLOW, Matt Zimber, goes to a banned horror movies film festival because one of his movies is playing as well. As he makes his way to the entrance of the movie theater, the camera pans on a few movies that you can make out that were banned. So I figured why not just look at these movies up and see the reason they were banned in the first place, which will save a lot of trouble by having it at the top of the show, it's the middle when I'm trying to tell a story. The story of Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. The episode. So here they are in its entirety. Number one, Alice Sweet Alice. A 1976 American psychological slasher film co-written and directed by Alfred Soule and starring Linda Miller, Paul Shepard, and Brooke Shields in her film debut. Set in 1961 New Jersey, the film focuses on a troubled Dulcet girl who becomes a suspect in the brutal murder of her younger sister at her first communion, as well as in not a series of unsolved stabbings that follow. While not prosecuted for a city, the film was seized and confiscated in the UK under Section 3 of the Obscene Publications Act 1959 during the video Nasty Panic, and was controversial in Ireland due to its parent of anti-Catholic themes. Number 2, Beyond the Door 2, originally called Shock, a 1977 Italian supernatural horror film directed by Mario Bava and starring Daria Nicolotti, John Steiner, and David Collin Jr. Its plot focuses on a woman who moves into the home she shared with her deceased former husband, where she finds herself tormented by supernatural occurrences. It was Bava's last theatrical feature before he died of a heart attack in 1980. In the United States, the film was released under the title Beyond the Door 2, as an unofficial sequel to Beyond the Door 1974 and second entry into the Beyond the Door trilogy. Number 3, I Spit on Your Grave, a 1978 American rape and revenge film written and directed by Miyazaki. The film tells the story of Jennifer Hills, played by Camille Keaton, a fiction writer based in New York City who exact revenge on her four tormentors who gang rape and leave her for dead. I Spit on Your Grave is noted for its controversial depiction of extreme graphic violence, particularly the lengthy depictions of gang rape that takes up to 30 minutes of its runtime. During its wider release, it was branded a video nasty in the United Kingdom and was a target of censorship by film commissioning bodies. As such, film critic Roger Ebert became one of the most notable directors of a detractors, I'm sorry, detractors of I Spit on Your Grave, calling it a vile bag of garbage. The film remains highly controversial to this day, even being considered to be one of the worst ever made. For some, 
It is this controversy which has led to it being deemed a cult classic. Despite the controversy and overwhelmingly negative reviews, the performance of Keaton was praised by critics. In 2010, I Spit on Your Grave was included in Time Magazine's Top 10 Ridiculously Mo Violent Movies. The film spawned the 2010 remake, which has since spawned two sequels of its own, I Spit on Your Grave 2 in 2013 and I Spit on Your Grave 3, Vengeance is Mine in 2015. A direct sequel, I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, was released in 2019 with Zarki and Keaton both returning. In her memoir, Inside Out, Demi Moore confirmed that she is a scantily clad woman in the film poster with her back turned. Not only did Ireland ban the original 1978 theatrical version, but the 2010 DVD release as well. Next one, They Call Her One Eye. Originally a Swedish movie called Thriller, A Cruel Picture, a 1973 Swedish rape and revenge exploitation film written and directed by Bo Arne Vivinius under the pseudonym Alex Fridolinski and starring Christina Lindbergh and Heinz Hoff. It tells the story of a young woman who is forced into heroin addiction and prostitution and her subsequent revenge on the men responsible. The film was released in the United States in a truncated version of by American International Pictures under several international titles. I'm sorry. The film was released in the United States in a truncated version by American Film International Pictures under several alternative titles, such as They Call Her One Eye, Hooker's Revenge, and The Swedish Vice Girl. The original running time was 107 minutes. After being banned by the Swedish Film Censorship Board, the film was truncated by 204 minutes and then 86 minutes, but still banned. It was finally released after being cut down to 82 minutes. In the United States, the film was distributed by American International Pictures, also in a truncated cut running 82 minutes. American International Pictures released the film in May 1974 under the alternative thrillers and they call her One Eye. The American National Pictures released the film in mid-1974. Fuck. The original running time was 107 minutes after being banned by the Swedish Film Censorship Board. The film was truncated to 104 minutes and then 86 minutes was still banned. It was finally released after being cut down to 82 minutes. In the United States, the film was distributed by American International Pictures, also in the truncated cut running 82 minutes. American International Pictures released the film in mid-1974 under the alternative titles Thriller and They Call Her One Eye and 1975 as Hooker's Revenge. It was marketed as the first time film ever to be completely banned in Sweden, although the first one actually was Victor Smallstrom's The Gardener from 1912. It has received a cult following and was the basis behind Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill character, L. Driver, played by Daryl Hannah. Next film, Suspiria, a 1977 Italian supernatural horror film directed by Dario Argento, who co-wrote the screenplay with Dario Nicolati, partially based on Thomas de Quincey's 1845 essay, Suspiria de Profundis. The film stars Jessica Harper as an American ballet student who transferred to a prestigious dance academy but realizes, after a series of murders, that the academy is a front for a coven of witches. It also features Stefania Cassini, Flavio Bucci, Miguel Bosé, Alida Bali, Udo Kier, and Joan Bennett in her final film role. Director Dan Argento's original idea was that the ballet school would accommodate young girls no older than 12 years. However, the studio and producer Salvatore Argento, his father, denied his request because a film this violent involving children would almost certainly be banned. Dario raised the age limit of the girls to 20 years, but did not rewrite the script, hence the naive of the characters and the occasionally childlike dialogue. He also put all the doorknobs at about the same height as the actresses' heads, so they would have to raise their arms in order to open the doors, just like children. Another movie, Burnt Offerings, a 1976 American supernatural horror film co-written and directed by Dan Curtis, and starring Karen Black, Oliver Reed, Betty Davis, and Lee H. Montgomery, with Eileen Heckert, Birgit Meredith, and Anthony James in supporting roles. It is based on the 1973 novel of the same name by Robert Morasco, 
The plot follows a family who begins to impersonally, interpersonally dissolve under supernatural forces in a large state they have rented for the summer. Produced by Alberto Grimaldi's Prosuni Erupe Associati, PEA Burnt Offerings was filmed on location at the historic Dusmere House in Auckland, California. It was given a domestic limited theatrical release through the United States in August 1976, which expanded later that fall. While the film received mixed reviews from critics, it won several awards in 1977. In the years since its release, the film has been analyzed by film scholars as a commentary on materialism and the dissolution of the American family. Next up, The Leech Woman, a 1960 black and white American film directed by Edward Dine, produced by Joseph Gershenon and starring Colleen Gray, Grant Williams, Gloria Talbot, and Philip Trary. The plot follows a middle-aged American woman desperate to be young again, who uses an ancient secret African potion to regain the lost youth and beauty. The potion works, but only temporarily, requiring repeated usage. Produced in 1959, Leech Woman's U.S. theatrical release from Universal International was a double feature with The Brides of Dracula. In 1997, it was featured as a part of the movie-mocking sketch TV series Mystery Science Theater 2000's eighth season. As for Sam's movie, Gina the Machina, which we all know is not based on anything in real life, however, Sam Sylvia is actually based off the GLOW director Matt Simber, who was most known for his mid-70s exploitation films, The Black Six, Lady Coco, and The Candy Tangerine Man, which have all over the years been praised by Samuel L. Jackson and Quentin Tarantino. Were any of them banned? Well, according to John Squires from Bloody Disgusting, Simber's first and only stop in the horror genre in 1976 with The Witch Who Came From The Sea. Starring Millie Perkins, Lonnie Chapman, Vanessa Brown, Peggy Fury, Rick J Jason, George Buck Flower, and Roberta Collins. The film centers on an emotionally scarred woman who goes on a killing spree after taking a job as a waitress in a seaside bar. Its title refers to the birth of Venus, which figures in the film. Dean Cunty served as associate photography on the film. The Witch Who Came From the Sea was classified as a video nasty by the United Kingdom Department of Public Prosecutions and was considered prosecutable for violating obscenity laws, but the prosecution proved unsuccessful. Retrospective reviews of the film have been generally positive. Welcome back, my father's behavior squad. This is Evo, and we are a hundred dollars away from doing our own twenty-minute promo on social media. Well, it will air exclusively on from under the apron. I will have the rock video as entirety in the show notes. But there was something I said on Twitter that I wish we could implement from now on, and maybe it had to do with the rock doing it for twenty minutes straight. But before I do, after The Rock publishes 20-minute promo, Cody Rose reached out and reacted. After The Rock published his 20-minute promo, Cody Rose reacted on his Instagram with a meme that read, I ain't watching all that. I'm happy for you, though. Or, sorry that happened. Which ended up getting more likes than The Rock's promo itself. Basically saying, this could have been an email. Or, not even that. This is like basically saying those were paragraphs after you have a fight with your significant other or you so happen to insult someone and they come at you with paragraphs. And you're like, oh, hell no, I ain't reading that. So this is what I said on Twitter. Can we get these types of promos from now on? have an edited version of it on the show, but in order to see the full promo, you have to go to their page. I would love that. And it kind of happened because 
later on on SmackDown, he said exactly the same thing. He said exactly the same promo. Well, not really. It was more or less like that, but it was like, you know, you know where he was going. He, he had the same um, insults that he threw in in the 20-minute promo, and then he brought it up to SmackDown. Oh, this one hit. Let me say it. But, you know, if we do get if something like this, that's great. Do it. Do it again. Do it again. Do more of that. Have him do a big promo. Then have him do the tease of the promo. And say, like, hey, there's more to that over here. Um, it'd be great. Just imagine The Rock being the most busiest person in the world. Creates another 20-minute promo. Instead of trying to go to the show, he can do this in his home. In the comfort of his own home. 20 minutes... 20 or so minutes, maybe more, of him bringing up clips of other people's podcasts who are shedding on him or praising him. Maybe this one. Who knows? Who knows? Some stuff he said within the span of a month. Some, you know, highlight reel. Or having dinner with his family and his friends and making fun of his opponents. This isn't no longer expensive shirt rock. It kind of is when he was back then. But him talking is not that. Mutton Chops with Sweats Rock, remember him? Corporate Rock, the People's Champ Rock, Hollywood Rock. No, this is no longer him. This is the board of TKO Rock bringing up his status as he can mess with your life or your career. Like, can he fire any of the wrestlers? Maybe for storyline purposes to make point. But then Triple H says no and brings them back. And... That would be the storyline. That would be how we get Triple H into the storyline against The Rock. It's something I was thinking about as a time. Something that I know will never happen, of course. On this episode of Glow on Netflix Season 2, Episode 6, for those that are new, this is a recap and review episode of the TV series Glow on Netflix. A show about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling that was set in the 80s. I will have bits of trivia here and there with additional interviews from the creators, directors, or stars of the show throughout the years. All in all, it makes for an awesome episode. If you haven't watched, if you haven't yet watched Glow, I suggest you do so and follow along as I recap and tell you what I saw of the episode. And if you haven't yet, check out episode 133, where I talk about the first season and pilot episode of Glow, if you want to go back and listen. That is episode one. 23. This is Glow Season 2, Episode 6. The uh, episode title of the episode is titled Work the Leg. It was directed by Lynn Shelton, who also directed Season 1, Episode 9, The Liberal Chokehold. The first episode of Season 2, The Viking Funeral. Written by Marquita Robinson, who wrote the first episode of Season 2, Viking Funeral, as well. Synopsis Facing New Competition. The woman bowed to amp up their wrestling. A startling discovery changes Sam's outlook on the show. Short, cold open. I walk alone by the pills. Is playing as Cherry is leading a jog while all the girls are right behind her. Yolanda runs beside Cherry, asking her what her new character is going to be. Suggesting maybe a crooked cop. Cherry tells her she's junk chain. Yolanda tells her, but... She's junk chain. Cherry says, we'll see. She turns around and motivates the other girls to pick it up. Toward the back, Ruth and Debbie are running beside each other, not speaking to one another, and then we see the infamous Glow logo. Next scene, Sam and Bash arrive at the KTTV headquarters station. Uh, and as they walk from the parking lot to the building, they're discussing wanting to know why they moved them into this shit-stained time slot. Nobody watches TV at 2 a.m. Sam says they need to know what they think their crew did wrong. Bash asks if they have an appointment. Sam says they're storming into the meeting and an appointment would defeat the purpose of storming. Bash says bitchin' as they head into Tom's office, who is practicing his golf swing, and says, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Sam says enough with the platitudes. They're there to talk and they want to know why they were moved to 2 a.m., Tom lies and explains to them that they were replaced with a men's wrestling show. They ask why Tom just says because he wants to glow at 2 a.m. 
and men's wrestling at 10 a.m. He asked them both inside his office. So the original glow was on syndication, so nobody knew the, the politics behind it. I would start. I would always start my Saturday mornings with cartoons. It was always the same ones: Master of the Universe, Thundercats, GI Joe, Transformers, and then at a certain time, I believe maybe around 11 W Super Saturday morning superstars, and around 10 a.m. I would always look forward to the gorgeous days of wrestling. Up until I got grounded and told no, I can't watch this. Can't believe I got grounded all because of a skit. Alright, so later after the meeting, Bash tells the entire girls that they gave the men's wrestling show their time slot. And the reason being is because they are better. They fly higher, they hit harder. The rest of the girls are disappointed. Ruth knows exactly what the truth as to why. Ruth says they fly higher and hit harder because of physics. Bash says, fuck physics. He tells them he needs them to take everything they got and push it all the way to the limit. Karma says she don't know what else they can do. They've been training almost every day. Bash yells at Carmen saying he doesn't need to hear excuses. He needs to hear results. Carmen says okay and apologizes. Cherry tells her not to apologize. She turns to Bash and tells him fine. He will get bigger moves. Or they will get bigger moves. Bash says that's what he wants to hear. He knows this is going to be hard but he believes in miracles. And they are going to make a miracle happen. I love how Cherry comes back and asserts her female dominance. She has that don't fuck with my girls mentality. Earlier she told Yolanda that she was junk Shane. If she gets her way, she would stay junk Shane. I mean, why not? Right here, she's been gone for half the year making a TV show and being insecure in front of a bunch of men trying to direct her. But she trusts Sam Sylvia. So she went back to him. In this moment, she decides nobody's going to yell at these girls when it's none of their fault and in front of her. So she tells Bash to stop yelling. They will get it done. Also, Bash asking for a miracle. I don't know about y'all, but it reminds me so much of when ABC sportscaster Al Michaels is yelling on commentary. Do you believe in miracles? After the U.S. national hockey team beat the Soviet national team at the 1980 Lake Placid Winter Olympic Games to advance to the medal round. So Bash saying miracles is like he watched that moment. He's been waiting for a moment like this to say it. I mean, he is a wrestling fan after all. He wants to copy uh, catchphrases, uh, looks. He was standing in front of his mirror looking up at... He was looking up at one of his favorite wrestlers and posing as him. Back to the show. Bash asks if Sam has anything to add. Sam says no, not at all. He's added all he could over the last 10 weeks. He just don't think he could possibly add any more at this point. They all agree. Debbie says that if they break their bodies and wrestle harder, would they magically get their time slot back? Bash says yes. Thank you, Debbie. He has heard it from Tom Grant that this is what they have been missing. Debbie turns to look at Ruth, who is still mad at her from the last episode. She then turns to Bash and asks him that they both met with Tom Grant without her. Bash apologizes to Debbie, saying that it was a guy thing. They had to storm the gates. Sam says not to get back up on her feminist high horse. They didn't leave her out. They just think her focus should be on performing this week against Ruth. And they have a big match coming up. The continuing table of the bereaved mother and the insane Russian. Sam looks at the rest of the girls and tells them they're going to be posting more matches later in the afternoon. Bash whispers something in Sam's ear and Sam calls for Jenny to create another gold jumpsuit for Cherry. He couldn't say this on his own. He had to whisper Daddy's ear. Hey, don't forget to have Oh yeah, hey, don't forget that you need to create another costume for uh, Cherry. And don't forget to also, um, we're having a match between them two. What? <laughs> Loser leaves town match. You couldn't say this? <laughs> um, 
yes, he couldn't. Uh, shit. Bash whispers something in Sam's ear, and Sam, ca- Sam calls for Jenny to create another code judgment for Yolanda. For Cherry, Yolanda speaks up, saying that it's her costume. Sam says they are doing a loser leave town match. It was Bash's idea. It's going to be Chola Junk Chain versus Black Junk Chain. Jesus. Sort of like the South Central Turf War. Offensive. Cherry rolls her eyes at Yolanda, who is scared that Cherry might be taking her spot. Bash says enough talking. He calls Carmen, saying that a lot of writing. Bash says enough talking. He calls Carmen, saying that a lot is riding on her this week. Do not disappoint him. He claps his hand, and everyone walks away, muttering under their breath. Ruth asks Debbie what time does she want to rehearse today. Debbie says any time, really, from sunup to sundown. It won't make a difference. Her of all people should know that. She walks away, leaving Ruth annoyed by that. Next scene, Cherry is watching a tape of Carmen's brother, Russell, taking notes. Kurt, playing by... Carlito is training with another wrestler. He gets on the top of the rope and continuously ch- yells, Chop! 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 He jumps from the top and performs a double axe handle on the back of his opponent and then goes for the pin. Cherry jumps up and down and wants to add that chop on her list. Carmen says they can make something similar. Cherry asks why can't they use that move. Carmen says that the lumberjack chop is Kurt's signature move. If they use it, that would be considered stealing. Cherry says it's a wrestling move. They're wrestlers. What is going to happen to her? Get sued? Carmen says it just isn't done. You don't steal another person's finisher. Cherry tells Carmen not to make this harder than it seems to be. They're sitting on a gold mine of moves. Use them. Carmen continues playing with her pen and pad. I hate to say it, but I'm going to. We live in a society today. We live in a society. No, really. Uh, back then, a finisher was protected. You had Hulk Hogan with a leg drop. Macho Man Randy Savage with a flying elbow drop. The Million Dollar Man or Virgil with a chokehold and they just called the Million Dollar Dream because it made you go to sleep. It was basic moves. Wrestlers had basic finishers. And other wrestlers from other companies would be like, let's use that move and have that other wrestler kick out of it. And the concept of a basic wrestling move as a finisher continued on until the late 90s. Shawn Michaels with a kick to the face. Jake Roberts or Raven with a DT which dropped them face first on their head. The Rock doing the people's elbow which was basically an elbow drop. Even the powerbomb from a 7 foot tall diesel. Those moves are used today just normal moves. Kick to the face done almost every 5 minutes in matches. A DDT used as a setup for a top rope elbow drop and then a leg drop. I just worked an entire match using all those moves. No big deal. Everybody steals moves from other people when back then it was protected, and I don't know about the suing part. I don't think Hulk Hogan called up a girl from Glow saying to stop using his move before doing another basic move to score the win. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. And I'm Dawn. And if you've ever watched a TV show and thought to yourself, oh my god, that season finale plot twist was absolutely bonkers. Or seen a movie and thought, wow, I need to talk to somebody about this train wreck immediately. Then we think you'll fit right in with our podcast, I Hate It, Let's Watch It. We watch TV shows like Riverdale and Emily in Paris. And movies like Deep Water, Killer Sofa, Rubber, and Deadly Illusions. And we give them the total rinse they deserve. It's basically group therapy for movie masochists. So come check us out wherever you stream podcasts. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening! Movies and feelings. Pop, pop. Bring Your Own Popcorn is a podcast that dives into people and the movies who love them. 
Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, inviting you to join me and an assortment of wonderful guests on fine podcast apps everywhere. Bring Bring your your own popcorn. Next scene, Ruth is at a gym in the locker room area. Justine walks in and she gets asked about school. Justine says, who cares? She asks Ruth if she knows Gina the Machina is closing out this film fest at the Highland Park Theater Wednesday. Justine is seen wearing the Dead Milkman Metaphysical Graffiti t-shirt. The album Metaphysical Graffiti was released in 1995 years after this season takes place. And she did another, another, what, a goof? moment when she was wearing a shirt that wasn't supposed to be out there in 1984 yet or 1985 yet last season uh justine says it's a small and obscure festival that only shows banned horror films from the late 70s but it's still awesome she hands ruth a flyer and tells her she should go justine says they gave sam a bunch of seats to fill if he could she invited some people but she just thought it would mean a lot if ruth was there since she is like his friend Ruth asks if he said that about her. Justine says she don't know. He just seems to like Ruth more than anyone else. But it's Sam. It's all relative. Justine walks away, leaving Ruth looking down at the flyer, wondering if she should go. Next scene, Cherry and Carmen are showing Debbie and Ruth what they're going to do in the ring. Cherry tells Debbie what she's going to do. Cherry throws Carmen to the ropes. Carmen reverses it. On the way back, Carmen kicks Cherry in the gut. She tells Ruth that she is going to do a suplex. Debbie and Ruth are across the ring from each other, unsure of this training moment. Carmen gets up and tells Ruth then she is going to work the leg, stomping on Cherry's leg as well as putting her knee on top of the leg. Carmen says to top it off, Ruth is going to do some mission hold. She, cherry, she places Cherry into a half Boston Crab and Cherry taps out. Debbie explains that Livery Bell should have the finishing move. Carmen says they'll just reverse it. Ruth interrupts and says that doesn't make any sense. She is supposed to be totally distraught because her daughter was just kidnapped. She can't win the first time around. She wins, there's no chase, there's no chase, and there's no story. Debbie says she understands the concept of chase, but Liberty Bell is on a winning streak. She's won 15 straight matches. She asks Carmen, wouldn't it be a little weird for her to suddenly do to someone who has ring rust? Ruth asks if ring rust is a thing, or does she just make up Make it up just to make her feel shitty. Carmen asks if they're okay. Usually they do a better job at keeping their weird friendship stuff out of the ring. Debbie says it won't be a problem for her, but she hopes Ruth can keep up. Carmen asks for them to do the suplex. Outside the ring in another area of the gym, Artie is talking to the Ozone girl. Stacy tells Artie maybe she should just try that roll thing that Carmen talked about earlier. Artie asks why, so that Klepto Twins can steal it? Stacy asks, how they, can they steal it if they're literally in the same match? Don says it's not their fault. She still have to play a terrorist. Artie says, actually, it is. She had an exit strategy. Meryl says she understands her play, for she, too, have been the victim of theft. Jenny says she did not steal Phil. He was never hers. Meryl says, but you know what was hers? The jacket. Cherry yells and asks what is up with everyone they have a big match coming up. Everyone needs to focus. Jolanda tells Cherry to calm down. They're just airing their shit out. Cherry asks her to not to tell her to calm down, but why doesn't she? Jolanda says she is calm and ready for their tango. Cherry yells at Jolanda to stop flirting with her. She's straight as she's married. Jolanda smirks as she eyes Cherry up and down. Stacy tells Artie they're a nice gift to show women. Everyone starts arguing with each other. Artie tells the sisters are are hams. Artie tells the sisters they are hands with hacky jokes. Jenny says she did unspeakable things for that jacket. Melrose says she knows Jenny sewed extra sequins in the crotch area of her costume. Jenny says maybe her vulva is overly sensitive. Carmen tells everyone to shut up and ask them if they want to stay at 2 a.m. because they're wasting a lot of time talking about complete nonsense. 
She asks them if they want to know why the men are better. It's because they shut up, they do their jobs, and they don't talk about their feelings ever. So stop arguing about petty bullshit and get back to stretching because this week is going to be impossible. Everything's going to be hard and the girls might not even be able to walk by at the end of all this. But the wrestling is going to be great. She looks around the room and asks who's ready to do this. The scene changes to a training montage with Far From Over by Frank Stallone playing in the background. The montage starts with the girls jogging, transitions into everyone trying to do sit-ups. They transition back to the jogging with Debbie and Ruth leading the charge. It transitions back to them doing sit-ups while Carmen's count has gone up to 48. Next transition is Cherry picking Yolanda over her shoulder with Carmen helping out. Sheila wrenching Carmen's arm, Ruth and Debbie having problems. Carmen tells them both to look at each other and communicate. This is basic stuff. Transition over to Rhonda trying to hit a drop kick on Carmen, but can't seem to get it right. Carmen yells at Cherry, telling her she has to get Yolanda's butt over her shoulder, or this isn't going to work. Ruth asks Debbie if she's ready, and Debbie says yes. Ruth runs up to Debbie for a sunset flip, which is a dive over an opponent who is mostly facing her, usually bent over uh, forwards, catching the opponent in a waistlock from behind and landing back first behind the opponent. You need to look it up. Uh, sunset flip. Carmen says that what they did was closer to what they were trying to do earlier. Cherry, who's been watching them train, scoffs and rolls her eyes, transition to Rhonda jumping on her bed and kicking the wall behind her bed. She jumps up and drop kicks the wall again and lands safely on the bed. She realizes she can do more of this and continues to jump off the bed for the drop kick and land safely on the mattress. Which transitions over to her doing the move in the ring on Carmen who tells her she did a great job. Same with Tammy who jumps from the middle rope to splash a padded mat in the middle of the ring. Another transition to Stacy saying she doesn't know what to do as Artie runs up to her over and over again. Stacy grabs a hold of Artie's waist and spins her around as they all celebrate they did a basic move. <laughs> all basic move guys. This transitions to Devi and Ruth doing the sunset flip in real time, and it connects. Melrose Scoop slams Jenny. Sheila is training with Carmen again as all three producers are aside watching them go over the moves. Devi clinches the submission move on Ruth and asks if she's ready. Ruth says yes, and she taps out. Everyone cheers. Carmen looks over at Bash, who gives Carmen the thumbs up for training the girls. Next scene. Sam grabs his keys and cigarettes from the table and tries to wake up Justine, who's sleeping on the couch. Sam says, okay, wake up. Let's go. Hey, sleeping beauty. He continues to push her, but she's snoring. He says, oh, you're kidding me. Come on, I hate going to things by myself. Justine! He continues to yell, oh, hey, Billy. Hey, Billy's here. She still doesn't wake up. He says, all right, fine. Sam covers Justine, then says, okay. Sam covers Justine and then takes the covers off her immediately, thinking she's going to wake up, but she doesn't. He says, wow, well, sleep tight. Covers her again and leaves. He arrives at the film festival of Gina Machina. He passes by a poster that reads, I'm with the band, a list of the best and bloodiest cult horror movies that they are showing all week. Which, where? For opening night, Monday, they are showing Alice Sweet Alice, Beyond the Door 2, I Spit on Your Grave. On Tuesday, they're showing They Call Her One-Eye, Suspiria, Burnt Offerings, and The Leech Woman. And for the night he's going right here, Wednesday, uh, I couldn't make out all the other movies, but I did at the bottom, Gina the Machina, Sam's movie. Like to drink wine? Do you like to talk about your favorite things and rank them in categories? Then you have come to the right place. Welcome to The Sip List, a podcast where, you guessed it, we drink lots of wine and make lists of all our favorite things. My name's Amanda, and each week my guest and I will review a favorite wine we're drinking, or if they aren't cool enough to drink wine, then the lame beverage of their choice. And then we will rank our top five favorites of different things in different categories. You can expect to hear all kinds of things, from favorite horror movies to favorite Disney characters, favorite true crime books to favorite women in history. The episodes will be diverse, but they will always include wine, lists, and lots of laughs. 
You can find The Sip List on social media. On Facebook, just search The Sip List Pod. Be sure to like the page and join the private Facebook group for the most up-to-date info on everything that's happening. You can also find us on Instagram at The Sip List Pod. I'm really excited to bring you guys some fun and amazing content, and I hope you'll join me on this journey. And until next time, whenever life is tough, just keep sipping. Hey, it's Evo. We're going to get back to the episode you're listening to, but first, let me tell you about Dark Fate Creations. Dark Fate Creations are candles that are vibrant, colorful, marble tops, amazing, mouth-watering fragrances, fueled by lovely braided cotton wicks. Paper threads woven into every cotton wick for a clean, romantic, slow, and consistent burn. Each candle is unique from the next as they are hand-mixed and hand-poured right in Grass Valley, California. They use only coconut and soy waxes for a safer, cleaner, and longer burn time. That's almost 72 hours. That's like binging on all 130 episodes of the podcast. All fragrance blends have been heavily researched. Dark Fate Creations not only care about the look, fragrance, and quality of their candles and their other products, but also the effects they have in their customers' homes. So go to darkfatecreations.com. The link will be in the show notes. In a world where true crime meets the supernatural and the unexplained. Where true crime and chills go hand in hand. Welcome to Total Conundrum, the podcast that explores the dark, the eerie, and the downright mysterious. Join us as we embark on a spine-tingling journey through the mysteries that keep you up at night. We're diving deep into true crime stories, uncovering the most baffling cases, and exploring the twisted minds behind them. But we don't stop there. We're also exploring the paranormal, from haunted houses to cryptids and all the creepy things that go bump in the night. Get ready for some supernatural thrills. And what sets us apart? Prepare for a dose of dark humor as we navigate through the creepy and bizarre. (laughs) We've got it all. Bone-chilling tales, banter, and mind-boggling conundrums. You won't know whether to scream or laugh. So grab your favorite snack, turn down the lights, and join us for a roller coaster ride of true crime and the supernatural sprinkled with a bit of comic banter. Stay curious, stay captivated, and let's dive into the world of Total Conundrum. Now available on your favorite podcast platform. Get ready to be captivated, creeped out, and cracked up with Total Conundrum. Back to the episode. Sam walks right in and he looks around wondering where to sit at the movie theater. He sits all the way in the back, getting seats by himself, trying to make himself comfortable, and tapping his knee, waiting for the movie to start. Ruth walks in with popcorn in her hand and sits behind Sam. Sam turns to look behind him and asks what she is doing. Ruth says she wasn't sure if he wanted her to sit near him. Sam says, so you you chose to sit right behind me. It's creepy. Ruth gets up from her chair and jumps over to the chair in front of her so that she can sit next to him. She tells him Justine invited her and asks where she is. Sam says she's sleeping. He, she, Ruth asks if she's okay. Sam says she doesn't know. Sam asks Ruth where her boyfriend Russell is. Did he ditch her tonight? Ruth says no. They didn't become a thing. It kind of failed before it started going back to Debbie blocking her from having that date. And Usher asks Sam to introduce the film and say a few words from all the way back there if he likes. He tells the Usher he just wants to skip that part. Ruth asks Sam to say something. Annoyed by Ruth, Sam stands up and grabs the microphone and says, This is Gina the Machina. He made it when he was younger and he thinks there's something good, says there's some good stuff in it. He doesn't remember. The audience claps their hands and the movie starts. The movie shows scenes of a meat grinder and Ruth asks if it's the one with the anal birth. What? <laughs> Sam again looks at her annoyed after an hour or so watching the movie the credits roll on a fake movie. 
Some of the names are listed in the credits of Sam's movie Gina Machine are crew members on Glow. Gina being played by April Watkins from Costume and Wardrobe Department, Steve Wurgies and Vanessa Rago from Art Department, David Garcia from the Sound Department, Vince Serpico from Accounting, Chris Perez, Cinematographer, Amanda Hamaday, Victor Buccio, David LaBridge, Steve Solomon, Glenn Majors, and Brian Hoffman for the Camera and Electrical Department. Four teenagers approach Sam, a kid named Matt, according to the IMDb page played by Philip Labs, tells him he's a genius. Sam says, wow, and not to call him by his last name, Mr. Sylvia, and thanks them. Franklin, played by Christopher Avila, tells Sam his use of jumping the line and how it ate, and the dysfunctional disorientation factor is masterful, and Justine told him they would love it. Sam asks how do they know Justine. Matt tells Sam they are on an AV club together. Sam is impressed as the teenagers walk away. Ruth smiles and tells Sam that he has a whole fan club of teenagers that adore his movies, that they are for sure too young to see. Sam smirks. Ruth tells Sam she almost didn't make it. She thought he was still angry with her. Sam says he's not angry with her, but he's an insecure old man. He gets defensive. They both sit there and Ruth tells him she liked this movie. Sam says, oh, come on, really? She says, yes. Those kids were right. It was disorienting. He was going, he was doing his own thing. She would apologize and says he still is doing his own thing. Sam says Ruth is right that he Sam says Ruth is right. That was him 20 years ago, and he had his hands all over everything, making everybody crazy. When he was trying to get that shot at the meat grinder, he made his operator so frustrated that he quit and, like, almost threw the camera at him. Sam had to shoot the rest of the movie by himself, and he did. He says he's accustomed to a certain level of failure. He's just a one project usually goes wrong. He knows exactly what happened. It's usually him getting in his own way or not listening to the other people, but with the glow, he has no idea why they shit can them. No clue. None. Ruth says she knows why and tells Sam the real reason. Grant, Tom Grant called her in a meeting for... <sighs> Ruth says she knows why and tells Sam the real reason. Tom Grant called her in for a meeting in his hotel room and he came on to her but she took off before anything happened. But he wanted to sleep with her and she didn't give him what he wanted and maybe that's probably the reason why. Sam asked if she's kidding. Ruth says, no, she's not. Sam says, fuck that guy, Tam Grant. What a sleazebag dickhead. Ruth asks if he's upset. He says, no, he's not upset. He's grateful. The show is being burnt out because of a dickhead network president. Not because of him, not because of her, but because of that asshole. That's great. But because of that asshole. That's great. It's the best news he heard all week about Tom Grant, the douchebag. Mariah the Usher, played by Paloma Esparza Rabinov, comes up and asks him to leave already. They apologize and walk out of the movie theater. <sighs> Next scene, Debbie's at a car wash and she notices Mark a few feet away who is holding baby Randy. She smiles and gets out of the car. As she makes her way over with a huge smile on her face, a woman walks up and Mark and kisses him on the lips. Debbie stops dead in her tracks. Debbie tries to go back to her car, but she just lunges forward to meet up with them and says, Good morning to Randy. Mark, and now his new girlfriend. Mark is unsure of this, but Debbie tells him to calm down. She would just love the pleasure of knowing the name of the woman that has been spending time with their son. Mark says they are both taking a personal day. Mark's secretary introduces herself to Debbie as Susan. Debbie immediately recognizes her as a secretary as they spoke on the phone about the bed, which she asked if Mark ended up buying the bed and is she enjoying it. Susan nonchalantly says, yes, it's nice. Mark apologizes and this is not how he wanted Debbie to find out. Debbie says that it's fine. Life doesn't always go as planned. Debbie tells Randy she loves him. Tells both of them she has to run and enjoy the rest of their day. Debbie walks away crying. Next scene, Sam shows up at KDTV looking for Tom's parking spot. He parks behind Tom's car. He gets out of his car, takes out a tire from his trunk, and hits Tom's windshield and hood of the car. Glenn comes up from around the corner and stands there watching Sam get in the car. Glenn says Tom pisses off a lot of people. It could have been anyone. That was a short ass scene. He just needed to, like, break everything. 
Next scene, Ruth walks into the gym with a smile on her face. On the bleachers, Jenny is making out with Phil. Russell says, don't mind him, just setting up for the both of them. He knows he's super busy, sarcastically. He turns and sees Ruth, who tells him to have a good show. He tells her the same. Justine walks in and asks for Sam. He's not in the office. Sam walks in and says, good evening to Ruth and Justine. Justine says she's such an idiot, she can't believe she fell asleep. Sam tells her to meet her friends in the... Tam tells her he met her friends in the AV club and asks her if she wants to man the booth tonight. He then turns to Phil and Jenny. He says, hey, Phil, yeah, hi. We're shooting the show tonight, okay? Uh, he's not firing him, but he just wanted to give him a little more time to finger his wrestler backstage. Jenny stops kissing Phil and says that Sam is so inappropriate. Laughs. And then goes back to making out with Phil. Sam turns to Justine and tells her to just watch the shots and tell him what she sees. He knows she has opinions. Justine smiles and walks away. Ruth smiles also witnessing this wholesome moment and tells him he just looks so much younger. Sam tells her to shut up. He walks away and she laughs. Debbie walks in finally after the whole car wash thing. She's annoyed. She has to share a locker room with Stacy, Don, and Melrose, who are so loud. So she walks in Sam's office and tells him she needs her own space. Some of us need time to think and breathe and wash the shit off the world off of us before we get to go be a fucking American princess. Damn. Sam tells her to go. Sam tells her to save the misdirected anger for the ring. He tells her to sit down, take it easy. He hands her his flask of vodka, and she drinks it. She drinks it all. He tells her that divorce is rough. He tells her that divorce is rough and she will get through it. He gets up from his desk and tells her to get ready in the office. He just doesn't want her murdering anybody just yet. Sam walks out of the office. Debbie continues crying. She grabs a cigarette from the table and finds Sam's secret stash of coke. She places some of her palm, sniffs it, and she begins to calm down for a bit. Next scene. Chola Jung Chain versus Black Jung Chain is happening. I can't announce it like this. Alright, fine. Bash is announcing it. The loser leaves town and it's really heating up. Cherry tells Yolanda that it's about to light up. As a, Cherry tells Yolanda that it's about to be lights out for her. She does the chop motion as the crowd gets into it and starts saying chop as well. Chop, chop, chop. Bash says, there's a lot of chopping in this crowd. It looks like Black is refusing to crack. Oh, dear God. Cherry gets on the top rope and Bash continues. She's not going to let Chola Junk Chain take what's hers. Cherry lands a chop on Yolanda's back. In Sam's office, all the girls are watching from the top, trying to help Justine, who is directing the episode. Jenny walks in and asks, why, don't, why did anyone tell her they were watching it from up there? Tammy asks, when would they have told her, during her match or while she was tonguing Mr. Surfer Boy? Justine shushes everyone, telling them that she is working. Yolanda rolls up Cherry, a key task if Yo-Yo is really going to win. One, Cherry doesn't want to be a generic rapper anymore and tells Keith to count to three. Two, Keith asks Sam to get out of his ring. Three, Sam says he's the director, he can do whatever he wants as he's filming the ending. Keith announces Cherry Junk Chain as the winner. Backstage, Ruth and Debbie are getting ready to go out. What Bash tells the crowd is the rematch they've all been waiting for. Out first is Zoya the Destroyer. In the ring, Liberty Bell yells at Zoya that she wants her daughter, Savannah Rose, back and calls Zoya a commie scum. Zoya asks if she means the Moscow Potato Blossom. The only mother she knows now is Mother Russia. Liberty Bell yells that she wants her daughter as she runs up to Zoya, who double kicks her back. Zoya does the sunset flip spot on Liberty and it goes well. Debbie gets up and is lost. Ruth. Debbie gets up and she is lost. Ruth looks a bit confused. Debbie kicks Ruth down. Keith checks in on Debbie and tells her to slow down. Debbie pushes Keith out of the way. Ruth locks up with Debbie and pushes her to the corner, checking up on her, asking if she's okay. Debbie pushes Ruth back. Debbie is coked out. Debbie kicks Ruth in the gut and hits a suplex. Up in the office, Sheila says it's like watching a speeding train. It's riveting. Back in the ring, Liberty Bell raises her hand in the air. She looks like a mess trying to walk. 
She kicks Zoe on her back again, pushing her down. Debbie is unhinged. She's looking out at the crowd, getting different reactions, feeling a little bit dizzy. She gets Zoe in the submission move, working the leg, half crab, sinks it in some more. You hear Debbie's heartbeat as the crowd continues to chant her name. But then, you also hear a crack, and the episode ends with Root yelling, Debbie! The credits roll, no music, it's just silent credits for its entirety. Okay. In 1987, there was a freak accident on the set of the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. You heard me describe the sunset flip as a, you know, just a basic move. As I watch, as I was watching this episode twice, you know, because it just dawned on me that they were practicing the move that legit injured one of the girls in 1987. In a match that pitted Susie Spirit, played by Lori Thompson, and Debbie Debutante versus Mina and Micah, a.k.a. the Headhunters, Susie attempted to do a sunset flip on Micah, and Susie's arm completely did a 180 and broke out of socket. Oof. Susie's spirit would go on to recover, but as the Headhunters were no longer with the company upon her return, they had to create a new one to allow Susie to get her revenge. On June 23, 2017, Alberto Luperon posted an article on the Law and Crime website about Lori Thompson and what she'd been doing since her after her time with the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. When she joined the company, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, she had no experience. She was a dancer on the Las Vegas Strip looking to break into television. I saw this interview for a TV show over at the Riviera Hotel, she said. I thought, that's perfect. But she didn't know it was a wrestling company until the interview. Thompson got ready to leave because she had no experience in that kind of thing. They changed her mind. Matt Simber said, we're just creating something brand new, something that's never been done before. She said, we're going, to look, we're going to use the hook of wrestling, but what we're going to do is make these women superheroes. The next thing you know, I was in GLOW. The experience didn't last forever, though. She left in 1987. Her life has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Thompson got her JD in the 90s, became a mother, and has gone to teach at law at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. She also worked as an attorney at Greenberg Turk, specializing in intellectual property and served on the board of a children's charity and the Nevada Ballet. She appeared in the first two seasons as wrestler Susie Spirit. It was fun, it was exciting, and we were in it together. So we were all helping each other out, Thompson told the outlet. As always, follow us on our social support us from Under the Apron on Instagram, the threads, YouTube, Apron underscore stories on the Twitter. Follow me and join my live streams on TikTok at Evolution of a Geek, where you will also find me doing the unedited version of the podcast that will then be posted on YouTube. Listen to us on Apple, Spotify, or any other audio media you can listen to the podcast on. More info on the links on where you can listen or watch in the show notes. Don't forget to rate us and leave us a review. And if you feel you want a little bit more, support us on the TikTok at Evolution of a Geek by subscribing. Join the Fireless Behavior Squad and show up to the live stream to watch, and I will shout you out at the end of every episode like Menace Smiling, Rabbit, Lily Linguini, Forever Jane, Brandy, Kimmy, Little Miss LB, Miniature Mommy, Age of Shadow 666, KCM, JJ Jet Pain, Squirrely Bree, Sandra Woodbury, Quick Draw, Forever Miss Dawn, Belinda Gonzalez 429, Southern Twiz 0077, Dale the Wrestling Nerd, La Petite Mort, Mittens Hayes 420 Main, Holes for You Slut, Holes for Us Lot, uh, okay, Aaron Mosher, Mike was 92, Sahara the Darkness, E Bunny 06, Half Sized Heather, Lisa, Toasted Bagel, Moss Queen, This Girl, Tiffany Defense Girl, Princess in the Herb, Chisire Cat Smile, Cloudy November, Trafficking Melodies, a band is following me. It's just, they came in last time, they told me about their music, I told them about the podcast, we exchange information, and we're supporting each other. And finally, Plash, Pleasure Passport 3.0, get 20% off on Toys when you enter discount code EVO at PleasurePassport.shop. That is discount code EVO. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. Join the TikTok live, subscribe, or hang out and watch the live and get your name shouted out. 
check out the show notes for links to other podcast page that you heard on this episode. Send us a message for your favorite wrestling stories, questions, comments, ratings, or requests at our email. It is from under the apron at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, joining the live, and being a huge part of this community. Tell your friends. Join us next time for more behind-the-scenes stories, movies, and TV show reviews, and maybe a 10K download celebration when we come to you from Under the Apron. I'm Evo. I'm proud of y'all, and I love your faces. I'm so glad we're not banned. <laughs>